Glad you guys are here this morning. For those of you who don't know, my name's Sean. I'm one of the pastors here, and we are currently working through the book of Hebrews. So if you have a Bible, paper, or if you got it on your phone and you want to follow along, Hebrews 6 is where we're going to be. If you don't, don't worry about it. We'll have uh, all kinds of scripture right up here on the screen. Hebrews 6 is where we're going to be. Now, I got a question for you. We're going to start today. I got a question. Here's my question, okay? What do you do... When you sin. Now, I, I, don't mean, I don't mean, like, tell me how you sin, okay? I don't mean tell us the creative ways you come up with sinning. Like, what do you do, what do you do when you sin? Like, when you find yourself, or when someone else points it out to you, right? This, this church, right, we can, be, we can try and be honest here, okay? We can try and be honest with one another. We have no problem admitting, right? All of us are broken. None of us is perfect, we all sin, we all rebel, we all bring darkness and death into the world and the ways that we live when we live outside of God's will, and we all do that. If you don't know this, following Jesus is not an anecdote to never sinning again, okay? So we have to ask the question, what do you do when you sin? The Jewish people of Jesus today, of the time of the Bible, the first century, they had a really convenient thing. They had the law, and in the law, it gave them a formula of what to do when you sin. It, it would tell you exactly what to do when you sin, here's how you fix it, right? Because when you sin, right, sin is, is uh, fractures relationships. Sin fractures relationships with the community you're in. Sin fractures your relationship with, your, with God. Even if you are not sinning directly against God, you're robbing his image bearers of his dignity, you're robbing him of glory, and it creates a, a separation, right? And so um, in, in Jewish culture, in, in Jesus' day, in the, in the times of the Bible, they would, they would say things like, if you sinned, that you were unclean, right? Or, or, or Jewish writers would talk about how you've been contaminated by death. <laughs> Isn't that kind of an intense image? You have this infection that's beginning to creep through your body of death and decay. Of death and decay. And, and so the, the Jewish scriptures would, would tell you something really specific what to do. If you sin, you were to be removed from the community. Right? You'd be set out. To, in fact, one of the phrases it talks about often is it'll say, um, uh, if you find someone amongst you who's sinning, to put them outside the camp or put them outside the city because the idea was you, you have this infection. You have this disease that is causing death in you and you don't want other people to get it. And it's an image of the separation that's created relationally that you broke something, that you had this relational connection and now you don't, and so you'd be outside the city. And then they'd give you this math equation, right? I, I wrote some of the examples down uh, throughout the, the book of Leviticus. It'd give you some math equations. It would say, um, if what caused you to be outside the city was you perjured yourself, right? So let's just talk examples, right? Um, if you're at work and your HR department calls you in to get your perspective on a situation at work, and you kind of give most of the details, right? Maybe you twist the details just a little bit. Maybe you're at school and something happens at school and, and, and a teacher wants to talk to you or an admin wants to talk to you and, and, and you, know, you just happen to forget to tell one person's name, 
What do you do if you perjure yourself? Well, Leviticus, the Hebrew writings, um, it says that you should sacrifice a goat. Anybody have a goat around? Sacrifice a goat. Uh, what happens if you break something at church? Right? What happens if you break something at church? What happens if you steal something from the church? What do you do? Right? You guys all look at me all innocent. Let me tell you, in the last decade, we've bought a lot of ladders <laughs> because people borrowed them. Right? What do you do if you break something at church? Well, it tells you, Leviticus law, Levitical law tells you this is how you fix it, right? First, you get put outside the city because you, you have this broken relationship with the community, you have this broken relationship with God, and then here's how you mend it, okay? Um, you sacrifice a ram, the value of what you broke plus 20%, okay? Sacrifice a ram plus 20%. What happens if you steal something? Okay? If you steal something, maybe um, you know, you're out working in your field, and you know it was um, ancient Near Eastern culture, they didn't have combines that navigated on GPS with coordinates of every property line, and you're out, and you just you go a little bit too far into your neighbor's field, and you realize after the fact that you were supposed to stop at the first oak tree, but you stopped at the second oak tree. What do you do in that situation? Well, it says you pay back your neighbor 20% and... You sacrifice a ram or a lot of rams, the value of what you stole. It's really convenient because there's always a math equation. If, if you do something wrong, here's how you fix it. When you break something, when you buy on purpose or on accident, because let's be honest, <laughs> can we be honest? Um, there's sometimes we break things on purpose, Right? Sometimes there are, there are times where we, where we sin, where we rebel. We know exactly, right? Can, can we be, I know it's church, okay? Can we be honest? We know exactly what God's called us to do. And we want nothing of it. What do we do when we sin? Sometimes we just sin out of ignorance. Right? We don't know, we didn't realize. Sometimes we sin because we react. We didn't plan on it, but something's happened. Someone says something and we just get angry and we lash out. Right? What do we do when we sin? Well, well, for Jews of the times of the Bible, they had this really simple math equation. And, and, and it, may, it may make you uncomfortable because if you listen, as, as I read through, um, there's a common denominator over and over and over again how you go from being dead outside the community, outside the city, to be coming back in. It's the sacrificial system. And, and in 21st century, like, West, the sacrificial system, um, there's a lot about it that can make us uncomfortable, right? There's, there's a lot that makes us kind of uneasy about um, all these animals getting sacrificed. In fact, there's accounts in, in the first century that there were days, there were holy days, where they would sacrifice so many animals that the gutters in Jerusalem would run red with the blood of animals, right? And let me tell you, let me tell you, um, I am not, I, I, don't, I don't do well with blood, um, I am not the person you want in an emergency. The last time I had my blood drawn, which was a whole like two tablespoons, two teaspoons, two teaspoons. You know how much, I, like nothing, okay? Some of you guys are like, you're a pansy and I own it, okay? I am not the person you want around. I, last time I got my blood drawn, I ended up on my kitchen floor with my feet up in the air sipping apple juice from a little baby sippy cup, okay? I don't do well with blood, right? And all this blood, right? Um, one time we had a neighbor, and she cut her hand really bad, and her husband wasn't home. 
And it's hard, I don't know if you know this, when you're bleeding a lot, it's hard to drive, okay? And so she knocked on our door, and um, I, I did what you would do if someone knocked on your door and went, why is someone at my house, right? And so I went to the door, and I opened the door, and there's a rag that used to mostly be white and now is mostly red, and she's holding this rag, and there's blood running down her elbow and dripping on the floor. And you know what I said? I went, Dawn! Right? There's a lot about the sacrificial system, the, 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 the violence of it, the blood of it that can make us uncomfortable, but it is an incredibly dynamic, rich, intense image that's painted here because it would tell them exactly how they get back into the community, how they fix what's broken. You see, um, a lot of us have this misunderstanding. A lot of us think that um, God chose Israel, okay? A lot of us think God chose Israel. Here's the, the, the biblical truth is God didn't chose, choose Israel. It wasn't like there was like a big risk board of all the ancient Near East and God's like, I want them, right? No, what God did is God chose a man. That guy's name was Abram. He later became, uh, his name got changed to Abraham, Right? And God says to him, this one guy, he says, I'm going to make a great nation out of you. I'm going to make you as many as the sands on the seashore and the stars in the sky. I'm going to make a great nation out of you. And God chose this one man. And there, there's a lot of things that God did in that moment and invited Abraham into to, um, to solidify this, what the Bible calls covenant. Right? Covenant is just a fancy theological term for a promise that God will never break. Right? Um, he did a lot of things, but one of them was he told Abraham, he said, what I want you to do is I want you to take a collection of animals. They were all three years old. Why? It doesn't explain. All three years old and cut them in half and lay them on the ground. Right? And then it says Abraham fell asleep. And when he fell asleep, he had a vision that this, 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 this thing of fire and smoke. Now, um, maybe you've read the book of Exodus. Right? And you know what fire and smoke represents. The story of Exodus, God leads the people out in the wilderness, and he leads them around the wilderness by day as a pillar of fire, and by night as a pillar, sorry, as a pillar of smoke by day and a pillar of fire by night. Right? And it says this pillar, this, this, this fire and smoke, which is an image of God's presence, comes between all those animals sacrificed. Because you see, what God's showing is that through the sacrifices of these animals, he comes to us, not us to him, but through the sacrifices of the animals, he comes to us and he claims Abraham as his own. And so every single time, the people of God would, would sin, would, would break something, would be in rebellion, they'd be put outside the city, but then there'd be a simple equation that they would be called to reenact the ceremony that called them his own to begin with. So they would again sacrifice so that in some way, as if like a, a door or like a spiritual portal, God could come through the center of that sacrifice to claim again as his own these people. I'll give you a math equation. The question is, with Jesus, what do you do when you find in yourself brokenness, and this disease called sin and death. And this is exactly what the writer of Hebrews is trying to answer. Now, I had a professor in college, and, and he, said, um, he said this. 
Um, uh, he said, read a paragraph, but only if you must. Read a chapter if you can, but read a book if you care. And, and here is his point, okay? Before we look at Hebrews 6, here is his point, okay? We can do really weird things with Scripture when we pull things out of context. When, when we just grab a verse and we go, oh, look at this verse, and we print it on a coffee cup, and we put it on our T-shirts, and we go, look at this verse. And we can do really weird things, and we can do really scary things. But this is the context. This is a story for the Jews. They, they are people who understand when you sin, when you rebel, because it will happen, this is how things are fixed. Now, the writer of Hebrews is telling us one story. This is the story. This is a whole, if there's a test at the end of your life, and question is, what is the purpose of the book of Hebrews? It's right here. Okay, you ready? It's really simple. Jesus is better. Three words. Okay? Jesus is better. That, that's how he starts. He starts with the angels. He says, Jesus is better than the angels. They were messengers. But Jesus is the message. They, they were the ones who would come proclaim about Jesus, but Jesus is Jesus. He would say, um, they're, they're better than the promised land. They're better than um, the Sabbath, the writer of Hebrews says. They're, they're, they're better than the priesthood and the sacrificial system. And the writer of the book of Hebrews is considered by many to be the greatest rhetorical writing of the first century. It is a masterpiece in argumentation. And he is arguing over and over and over again that Jesus is better, Jesus is better, Jesus is better. And it comes this question about the sacrificial system. And the beauty of the sacrificial system is that it's a math equation. You do this, and then you do this, and it'll fix it. You break this thing, you pay this cost, you sacrifice this goat, and it fixes things. So the writer of Hebrews is asking this question. What do you do now? When you find in yourself sin and death, when you find in yourself rebellion and this disease of death consuming you, when you find yourself in broken relationship with friends and family and, 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 and coworkers and neighbors, what do you do? How do you get it fixed? And this is where we get to in Hebrews 6. So Hebrews 6, verse 4 says this. No, it doesn't. Maybe. Oh, hey, look, the TV got turned off. Don't mind me, talk amongst yourselves. Maybe not. Here we go. I'll just read it to you. Hebrews 6, I lied to you, it's not going to be on the screen. Hebrews 6, Hebrews 6, verse 4 says this. You ready? For in the case of those who have once been enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and have been made partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come and then fall away, okay? So, so, so we don't have time to go through all these categories, but he gives us five categories where he basically is painting the extreme. He says, think of the most amazing Christian you can think of, right? Maybe that's Billy Graham. Maybe that's a family member. Maybe that's a neighbor. Think of the most amazing Christian you can think of. They have tasted the heavenly, like this is a, uh, well, um, Paul, uh, Paul writes elsewhere. He, he would, if he was writing to a bunch of Jews, he, he might say it this way, um, Philippians 3 Philippians 3, he says this, 
If anyone has, if anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness, which is in the law found blameless. The writer of Hebrews is saying, imagine the most perfect person you can think of, like varsity level Christian. What happens? What happens if they fall away? What if they stumble? What if they find themselves outside the community? What, what then? And his answer is really striking and somewhat uncomfortable, but it's really brilliant. He says this, and then have been falling away. Oh, oh, well, so let me say this first. Because for a Jew, the answer was obvious, right? If the most blameless person sins, what do they do? They go and they reenact the sacrifice. They reenact the covenant. If they find themselves outside, they reenact the covenant so that by that covenant, by that sacrifice, they might create a way for God to come to them to claim them as their own again. What do you do? What do you do when you find yourself outside? And he asks, he challenges, he proposes the obvious question. He says, it is impossible to renew them again to repentance since they again crucified to themselves the Son of God and put him to open shame. Here's what he says. Here's what he's saying. In, in his rhetorical argument, here's what, here's what he's saying. What are you going to do? Right? Like, like, for a Jew, if you find yourself outside, what you would do is you would reenact the covenant. Well, what are you going to do? You're going to reenact the crucifixion? Right? This is intended to be an absurdity. Well, well, what would you do? What could you do if, if what gets you into the community, what invites you and in, what calls you sons and daughters, which if, if the crucifixion of Jesus is the thing by which God comes and declares you his own, what could you do? Crucify Jesus again? Instead, instead the writer of Hebrews says, in Hebrews 7, verse 27, it's actually where he sums up his whole argument, and he says this, okay? This, this is the important part. He died once for all when he offered up himself. Here's what the writer of Hebrews is saying. There is nothing that you could do. Hear me. There is nothing. There is nothing. Let me, let me say it again. There is nothing that you could do that would so diminish the cost paid at the cross that it would be insufficient to cover all of who you are. So what do you do? What do you do when you sin? What do you do when you find yourself broken? When you find this disease of death beginning to consume you? You don't reenact. You remember. Revelation 2 actually says this. It says, remember from where you've fallen and repent. Repent is a fancy word. It just means change your mind. Remember. Remember the cross. Remember the gift of Jesus. There is nothing, nothing that you could do, that you have done, that could so diminish. What could you, the writer of Hebrews would say this, right? What could you give that was more valuable than God giving himself? 
It's been paid. Remember. Remember the cross. Remember the gift. Remember the sacrifice. You see, for a Jew, um, that when they would come and they would sacrifice, it was payment to cover the sins they confessed. But let me ask you this. When Jesus died on the cross, if he is the one who covers your sins, when Jesus died on the cross, how many of your sins were in the future? All of them. All of them. Jesus' blood was sufficient from the very beginning to cover every bit of you. There is nothing. There is no season. There is no night. There is no rebellion. There is no choice that would, that would so diminish the cross that it would not be sufficient to cover you. Paul writes in Romans, Romans 8, says this, for I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything other any other thing created will ever be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. You see, there is no reenactment necessary. There is no um, penance you must pay. Instead, the call of Scripture over and over again to us, when we find ourselves broken, when we find death slowly creeping in to consume our soul, is to remember Remember the cross. Remember the gift. Scripture says, he who gave his own son for you. Remember his body and his blood shed. And to remember that it is sufficient to cover all of your death and brokenness and sin and rebellion and guilt and shame. We're not called to reenact, but we are called to remember. And so today, I, I wonder, I wonder if you've forgotten. We're going to take communion together a little bit earlier in service than we normally do. If you didn't grab one of these, they're by the door. You can grab one. But I, I wonder if you forgot. I wonder if just in the chaos of life, the voices of people speaking into you, you began to believe a lie. You began to think that you were unforgivable. That it could never be forgotten. That it could never be fixed. That, it, that, it, that, that somehow you were too far outside the community that you could never be welcomed back in. I wonder if you've forgotten Jesus, the night before he was crucified, he took a piece of bread and he broke it and he passed it amongst his disciples and he said, this is my body given for you because you see, for us, it is not the sacrifice of lambs and goats and rams that creates some sort of spiritual gate for God to come to us, but it is the very body of God himself, the very body of Jesus, our Messiah. So today, I pray that you would remember 
the cross. Let us eat together. He takes a glass of wine and he blesses and he said, this is my blood spilt for you. Instead of the blood of lambs that covers the sins of our past, God himself is the perfect lamb who covers all of our brokenness for all time. And if you have forgiveness and freedom because of Jesus, let us declare and drink together.